We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Away we go, episode 490 of the Al Galdi podcast. It is Friday, January 20th, 2023, the day before the start of what is to me the best weekend of the NFL playoffs divisional round weekend and two days before the 40th anniversary of the greatest home win in Redskins slash Washington football team slash Commander's history. Uh, This Sunday is January 22nd, 2023. It was on January 22nd, 1983 that the Skins beat the Dallas Cowboys 31-17 at RFK Stadium in the NFC Championship game en route to the Skins' first of three Super Bowl titles with Joe Gibbs as head coach. You know, it's a funny thing, the Washington-Dallas rivalry. Dallas actually has owned Washington in the regular season, but Washington has owned Dallas in the postseason. Two and oh, with each win being a win in an NFC Championship game. The NFC Championship game for the 1972 season and the NFC Championship game for the 1982 season. <laughs> yes, Coach Joe, that is kind of funny now, isn't it? Hello and welcome to this Friday installment of the Al Galdi podcast, the only Washington, D.C. sports podcast or show for which there is a new episode each weekday with each episode out oh so early each weekday morning. You see, you never have to guess when the next installment of this podcast is coming out. The deal is quite simple. Each weekday with each episode out early in the morning with each episode ready for you as you are getting your day going. Well, someday I hope that on Divisional Round Weekend, instead of talking about the past with our football team, uh, we're talking about the present, as in the team actually playing on Divisional Round Weekend. We have three NFC East teams playing this weekend. Uh, Not a single one, of course, is the Commanders, but the New York Giants at the Philadelphia Eagles Saturday night at 8.15, the Dallas Cowboys at the San Francisco 49ers Sunday evening at 6.30. First time in NFL history that one division has three teams in the divisional round of the playoffs. 
Let that sink in. In the meantime, I have a lot for you on the show, on the Commanders. Uh, Next segment, I'm going to talk about a few things with the Commanders, including interior defensive lineman Deron Payne, deservedly being named to the NFC's Pro Bowl team, and multiple developments in the Commanders' offensive coordinator search, including Greg Roman now being out as Baltimore Ravens' offensive coordinator. Should the Commanders be in on Greg Roman. Uh, I have some thoughts on that. A special guest is on the way, sports business expert Marty Conway. Uh, He's going to go in-depth on the sales of the Commanders and Nationals and on the Orioles' ownership mess. Uh, Marty is an adjunct professor at Georgetown. He spent 15 years working in Major League Baseball, including working for the O's. And he's very good at talking about this ownership stuff and speaking on it with clarity. Among the things that I'm going to get into with Marty is what exactly is going on with Amazon founder Jeff Bezos potentially buying the commanders. I think that a lot of people have been wondering about this, especially with Bezos reportedly having not submitted a bid for the team in the first round of bidding on the team. Uh, Marty's going to explain things with Jeff Bezos and get into a lot more, including the Masson dispute between the Nats and Doe's. Marty actually believes that an ending, finally, to the Masson dispute is coming. Uh, also on the show, we'll discuss two very good results on Thursday night. The Capitals, a 4-0 win at the Arizona Coyotes. And Maryland basketball, a 64-58 win over Michigan at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Email from Philip C., the MD, on the sale of the Commanders, writes Philip. Hey, Galdi, loving the podcast as always. Even when we are on the outside of the playoffs looking in, you keep it entertaining and engaging. Thank you, Philip, continues Philip. Now, let's get to the sale of the team. I don't want to spike the football before we get into the end zone, but given your fan engagement, listener loyalty, and general platform size, someone in the media needs to initiate the discussions of planning the parade after Danny Boy is out. The spark has to start somewhere. Why not on your podcast? The first question is the route. It seems like a no-brainer that we march from the Capitol to RFK Stadium. Let's show the local and federal governments what RFK means to the fan base and get the ball rolling on a new stadium there. I'll be coming from Reno, Nevada, so I need to plan ahead. All the best, and until the sale is final, my fingers are crossed with white knuckles. Uh, Thank you for the email, Philip. Yeah, we should plan a parade for if slash when Danny Boy is out, because if slash when that day comes, that is going to be someday. Have you thought about what that day is going to be like? I have thought about what that day is going to be like. Uh, That is going to be a monumental day. Uh, That is going to be a day in Redskins slash Washington football team slash commander's history, rivaled only by the days of the greatest wins in franchise history like the days of the three Super Bowl wins, like the day of the win over the Cowboys at RFK Stadium in the NFC Championship game for the 1982 season. You really can't overstate how big of a deal, how positive of a development Dan being out as majority owner of the team would slash will be. And I say that fully recognizing that we have no idea how good the next owner will be, but here's the thing. It would be very hard very hard to be worse 
than Dan, given everything that has gone down during his tenure as owner of the team. Uh, Email from Stanley Evans on Commander's head coach Rod Rivera as we prepare for the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Right, Stanley, Rivera gets no pass or any excuses. The Giants have no receivers, an unproven quarterback, and a mediocre secondary. What's our excuse? Just pathetic and inexcusable. I know I've praised Ron before, and his players do think highly of him, and he is a respectable guy around all league circles, but he has done next to nothing with Washington. He wanted the job, so do the darn job. I'm so frustrated because the passion for this team messes with my emotions. It's sickening to see three teams from the NFC East with chances to get to the Super Bowl. I can't stomach another NFC East team winning a Super Bowl. That would be another slap in the face to every remaining Washington fan. We've been in the basement of the division for far too long. No more excuses. Find solutions. Sorry for ranting, but I'm going to be the biggest 49er fan this weekend, as I'm sure everyone will be. Sam Howell for 2023. Boomer bust. No more retreads. Uh, Thank you for the email, Stanley. I hear you, Stanley. I do. I love a good rant. Uh, The job that Brian Dable has done in his first season as Giants head coach makes Ron Rivera and every other NFL head coach who has had a hard time getting things going look so bad. The Giants had had seven double-digit loss regular seasons over the previous eight seasons, including five consecutive double-digit loss regular seasons. The Giants roster is far from some great roster. And yet Dable, in his first season as Giants head coach, has the Giants a win away from the NFC Championship game. Uh, I, on Tuesday's show, episode 487, conducted a proper deep dive on Ron Rivera, still lacking the step forward season as Washington head coach, as so many other NFL head coaches early in their regimes register step forward seasons. And yes, it is true that the circumstances for Ron as Washington head coach have been absurd. Okay. I think we all can acknowledge that, but it's also true that zero winning regular seasons over three seasons as Washington head coach is not good enough. Well, a law firm that is more than good enough is Paulson and Nace. I know that Chris Nace and Matt Nace are not happy with what has gone down with the commanders this season, but I also know that Chris Nace and Matt Nace will fight for you and will do well for you. You see, no law firm does a better job of fighting for victims than Paulson and Nace does. Founded in 1979, Paulson and Nace is dedicated to promoting the rights of seriously injured persons and their families. You can call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace handles medical malpractice, personal injury, birth injury, legal malpractice, and consumer protection cases offering aggressive advocacy for victims in Washington, D.C. and West Virginia. Paulson and Nace is widely respected throughout Washington, D.C. and West Virginia for the firm's accomplishments both in and out of courtrooms. Chris Nace and Matt Nace are dedicated trial attorneys who do not balk in the face of large insurance companies or well-known businesses that have had practices or products that are directly related to the root of your harm. Paulson and Nace does not accept low settlement offers that benefit the people who cause clients harm more than the offers benefit the clients. And this is because Paulson and Nace is not afraid to take a case to trial. And that's because Paulson and Nace wins trials. 
Paulson and Nace has secured millions of dollars in verdict and settlement amounts for clients to better enable them to care for themselves and their families. If you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. If you feel that you've been wronged, if you think that you've been wronged but aren't sure, call Paulson and Nace and schedule a no-obligation appointment. Yet yeah, you're obligated to nothing. Call Paulson and Nace at 202-902-7611. That's 202-902-7611. And when you call, make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Schedule a no-obligation appointment by calling 202-902-7611. You can also visit PaulsonandNace.com. That's PaulsonandNace.com. Just make sure that you tell Paulson and Nace that Al Galdi sent you. Paulson and Nace, if you have a case, contact Paulson and Nace. All right, I have a variety of commander's items for you before we get to our guest, sports business insider Marty Conway. First of all, congratulations to interior defensive lineman Duran Payne. Uh, he, on Thursday afternoon, was officially named as a member of the NFC Pro Bowl team. Uh, this as a replacement for Los Angeles Rams interior defensive lineman Aaron Donald. Uh, so the commanders for the 2022 season now have five official Pro Bowl players, uh, Duran Payne, Fellow interior defensive lineman Jonathan Allen, a Pro Bowl starter. Uh, Punter Tressway, a Pro Bowl starter. Safety Jeremy Reeves, he was named the NFC's primary special teams player. And receiver Terry McLaurin, he's a Pro Bowl reserve. Uh, Well-deserved honor for Deron Payne. He had a monster 2022 regular season. Uh, He finished tied for fourth in the NFL in tackles for loss with 18. He finished with 11 and a half sacks, tying the great and unfortunately uh, now late Dave Butts for the most sacks in a regular season by a Washington interior defensive lineman since sacks became an official stat beginning with the 1982 season. Uh, Butts had 11 and a half sacks in the 1983 regular season. And of course, uh, this season was a contract season for Deron Payne, who is going to get paid this offseason. Uh, meantime, we have more in the commander's offensive coordinator search. Uh, the commanders on Thursday morning did announce that they on Thursday were interviewing Atlanta Falcons quarterbacks coach Charles London for the commander's offensive coordinator job. Uh, the team is announcing its offensive coordinator interviews. The commanders on Wednesday interviewed their quarterbacks coach, Ken Zampisi, for the offensive coordinator job. The commanders on Tuesday interviewed former Cleveland Browns and former New York Giants head coach Pat Shermer for the commander's offensive coordinator job. So those are the three interviewees for the job so far, Pat Shermer, Ken Zampezi, and Charles London. But we now have two more potential candidates for commander's offensive coordinator. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers on Thursday fired offensive coordinator Byron Leftwich and the agency for Baltimore Ravens offensive coordinator Greg Roman on Thursday announced that Roman was, quote, stepping away from the team to pursue other opportunities, end quote. Do not say that the Ravens fired <laughs> Greg Roman. He instead stepped away from the team to pursue other opportunities. So here's the deal with this commander's offensive coordinator search. There's what I would like for them to do, and then there's what I think that they will do. What I would like for the commanders to do is join the year 2023 and commit to developing a high-level passing attack and find an offensive coordinator who is great at that and great 
at developing a young quarterback like, say, oh, I don't know, Sam Howell. What I think that the commanders are doing is looking for an offensive coordinator who is experienced and who is very good at rushing offense. Now, you can meet those two qualifications and also be good at passing offense. But it doesn't seem like passing offense is the team's primary focus. Not if you go off what head coach Ron Rivera and general manager Martin Mayhew were saying at their joint season-ending press conference on January 10th. Now, if I'm Ron Rivera, I am interviewing a lot of people for this offensive coordinator vacancy, if for no other reason than to use the process as an opportunity to hear what offensive minds outside of the organization think about the organization from an offensive perspective. Uh, This process can be a great information gathering tool for Ron, and I hope that he's taking advantage of that opportunity. And so I hope that Ron interviews both Byron Leftwich and Greg Roman. Uh, Leftwich is interesting. So he was the Bucs offensive coordinator for four seasons, 2019 through 2022. His 2020 and 2021 offenses were great. Uh, But those two seasons, of course, were Tom Brady's first two seasons as the Bucs starting quarterback. The Bucs 2019 offense, uh, the pre-Brady Leftwich Bucs offense was not good. And the Bucs offense this season was mediocre at best and was especially bad in the running game, the Bucks for the 2022 regular season finished number 30 in the NFL in rushing offense per Football Outsiders DVOA metric. Uh, the Commanders, by the way, were number 29. You know, for all of this talk about how good the Commanders' rushing offense was this season, the rushing offense actually wasn't that good. Uh, a lot went wrong for the Bucks' offense this season. Not all that went wrong was Byron Leftwich's fault, but it's hard to ignore that this was his first season as Bucks offensive coordinator without a great offensive mind, Bruce Arians, as Bucks head coach. So my concern with Leftwich is that he, on his own, isn't as good as those 2020 and 2021 Bucks offenses would suggest. But the commander should talk to him if he's open to being interviewed by them. Uh, as for Greg Roman, so I know that a lot of Ravens fans were like doing cartwheels on Thursday with the Ravens firing him. And I'm not here to tell you that he's perfect. And I actually would be interested in hearing from Ravens fans on what specifically they didn't like about Roman. But Greg Roman has a track record of getting a lot out of mobile quarterbacks. Uh, Greg Roman was the San Francisco 49ers offensive coordinator from January 2011 to January 2015. Those four seasons, 2011 through 2014, included Alex Smith's two best seasons with the Niners, 2011 and 2012, and Colin Kaepernick's three best seasons with the Niners, 2012 through 2014. Uh, Roman was the Buffalo Bills offensive coordinator from January 2015 to September 2016. Uh, Not a long stint, (laughs) I will grant you that. But the Bills in the 2015 season got very solid quarterback play from Virginia Tech product Tyrod Taylor. Uh, Tyrod Taylor in the 2015 regular season had 20 touchdown passes versus six interceptions, and he finished number eight among all qualified quarterbacks in the NFL in ESPN's total QBR at 66.3. QBR is on a scale of 0 to 100. Uh, Roman was an offensive assistant for the Ravens from January 2017 until Thursday. He was their offensive coordinator from January 2019 until Thursday. Uh, What was 
that 2019 season, his first season as Ravens offensive coordinator. Uh, That was Ravens quarterback Lamar Jackson's MVP season. Lamar was named Associated Press NFL MVP for the 2019 regular season and then had a very good 2020 season. Uh, That's quite a track record of extracting the most out of dual threat quarterbacks. Alex Smith in 2011 and 2012, Colin Kaepernick 2012 through 2014, Tyrod Taylor in 2015, Lamar Jackson in 2019 and 2020. All of those quarterbacks, very good seasons happened with Greg Roman as offensive coordinator. And so to me, Greg Roman could do some very good things with Sam Howell. And I emphasize that word could, because there's a lot that we don't know about Sam, okay? We don't even know for sure that he's going to be the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season. But per reports, he is being positioned to be the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season. And we do know that Sam is a major run threat. We saw that in the commander's season-ending 26-6 win over the Dallas Cowboys at FedEx Field on January 8th. Sam in that game, what was, right? His NFL regular season debut had five carries for 35 yards and a touchdown, which was a late third quarter, first and goal, nine-yard pistol, triple option touchdown run. A really impressive play on which he made linebacker Damone Clark and interior defensive lineman Neville Gallimore miss on attempted tackles. Uh, Sam Howell, in his final season at North Carolina 2021, totaled 828 rushing yards and 11 rushing touchdowns, and for pro football focus, forced 63 broken tackles. I have no idea if Greg Roman has any interest in becoming the commander's offensive coordinator, but if Ron Rivera is serious about this running game-oriented approach to offense, if he's serious about the formula, and he's serious about Sam Howell potentially if not likely, being the commander's QB1 for the 2023 season, then Ron absolutely should talk to Greg Roman. One other item on the commander's uh, tweet from ESPN NFL insider Jeremy Fowler late night on Thursday night, quote, the Bears have requested permission to interview commander's defensive backs coach Chris Harris for a defensive position per source. As a player, Harris was a sixth-round pick of Chicago in 2005 and played four seasons there. His name has come up for potential D.C. jobs as well, end quote. Uh, D.C. meaning, of course, defensive coordinator as opposed to Washington, D.C. Uh, It was on January 12th that we had multiple reports that the Tennessee Titans had requested permission from the commanders to interview Chris Harris for a defensive role on the Titans coaching staff. Chris Harris is very well thought of. You do wonder if the uncertainty with Ron Rivera as commander's head coach beyond this upcoming season, given the team's ownership situation, might compel Harris to leave for another team. Uh, This is the third consecutive offseason in which Chris Harris has come up for at least a job elsewhere. Uh, Harrison, January 2021, interviewed for the Philadelphia Eagles, defensive coordinator vacancy, and Harris in the 2022 offseason, interviewed for the Indianapolis Colts, defensive coordinator vacancy. Up next, a welcome on sports business expert, Marty Conway, to talk about the sales of the commanders and nationals, and also about the Orioles' ownership situation.
We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. It is great to have you with us. Did you know that you can subscribe to the Al Galdi podcast? You can do so on Apple Podcasts, on Google Podcasts, on Spotify. Uh, A subscription to the pod costs you nothing and make sure that you never miss an episode. So we have quite a few things going on with the commanders right now, but principal among those things is the sale of the team. Co-owners and co-CEOs, Dan and Tanya Snyder. Dan and Tanya, Tanya and Dan. Uh, They appear to be getting out. There has been a lot out there this week about the sale of the team. Uh, Commander's insider J.P. Finley of NBC Sports Washington on Monday night reported that per multiple sources, the sale of the team, quote, will be over soon, end quote. Uh, J.P. also reported that businessman and investor Todd Boley is out of the bidding for the commanders and that Josh Harris is, quote, perhaps the top candidate to buy the commanders, end quote. Uh, Josh Harris is the managing partner of the Philadelphia 76ers and is the co-managing partner, vice chairman, and alternate governor of the New Jersey Devils. He's a local. Uh, Harris went to the field school in Washington, D.C. We this week also have had multiple reports that Amazon founder Jeff Bezos did not submit a bid for the commanders in the first round of bidding for the team. Uh, That first round 
had a deadline of shortly before Christmas. Uh, and sports business insider A.J. Perez of Front Office Sports, he on Tuesday afternoon reported that those who submitted bids for the first round of bidding for the Commanders were told that Dan Snyder plans to sell enough of the team to clear the way for a new controlling owner. So potential owners of the team are being told that Dan isn't selling just a minority interest in the team. No, he is selling majority control of the team. A lot to take in, a lot to process. And on top of all of this, we also have major ownership uncertainty with the Nationals and Orioles. And so in a time like this, ain't nobody better to welcome back to the Al Galdi podcast that sports business expert Marty Conway. Uh, Marty is an adjunct professor at Georgetown. He is a man who knows sports business quite well. Uh, Marty spent 15 years working in Major League Baseball, worked for the Orioles, uh, worked for the Texas Rangers, also worked for the commissioner's office. Uh, Marty also has worked for AOL. Uh, You can follow Marty on Twitter at Marty Conway. Uh, Marty, it's great to talk to you again. How are you? I'm good, Al. Good to be with you. Good to have you back on. Uh, Let's begin with the commanders. Jeff Bezos not submitting a bid in the first round of bidding on the team. Does that strike you as significant or not so much? Um, It does not strike me as significant because we have seen in past um, NFL franchise transfers, you know, from one stage to the next, some come, some go, some groups consolidate together in order to do it. So, this first round, to me, feels like pretty perfunctory and and maybe setting the the minimum, you know, the floor, perhaps, in terms of valuations and what people see in the marketplace. But I, I do believe it's far from over, and I, I'm, I'm, you know, I would feel almost certain that if Jeff Bezos were to be interested here in the Washington market, and I think there's still some questions about whether he would or would not be interested given some of the other things that are going on in the NFL uh, in general. And that is, you know, at, at some point, um, look, the finance committee, which I'm sure the owners on the finance committee know him very well from his longstanding relationship, notwithstanding even Amazon. And so if this is the right opportunity, then they may steer him towards it um, because ultimately the finance committee is who recommends this to the ownership general body. So I think it's kind of an introductory step here. You'll hear some names and then you might hear some of these people consolidate together, whatever, because again, you're going to need somebody that can have, you know, somewhere in the $3 billion range perhaps at least because if the franchise is valued in the 6 to $7 billion range and you're going to buy majority stake from Mr. Snyder, then you're going to have to have at least that much uh, in it. So the NFL requires 30% for a principal owner, but in this case, you're probably going to need to have at least 50% in order to take the majority shares from Dan Snyder. Why might the commanders not be the right opportunity for Jeff Bezos to own an NFL team? Well, I think it'd be a combination of perhaps a couple things. Number one, I don't think that he would want to close the door on Seattle, quite frankly. Um, the Seattle franchise, along with the Portland Trailblazers, have been held in the trust of Paul Allen's family since Paul Allen passed away a few years ago. I think everyone understands that eventually those franchises are going to come onto the market for sale. There's no indication that the Allen family is going to keep them in perpetuity in the trust. Um, and so he may not want to close out 
an opportunity. He may know more about the time horizon on the West Coast. And then the second thing, I think, which hasn't really been discussed, which is, is there some sort of potential conflict around his ownership of the Washington Post? Um, if you go back and look, you, you rarely find somebody in the team ownership business, that, and I don't mean television stations, owning television stations, that's happened with Fox and, and, and WGN and all that, but in the editorial business, and I don't know that the NFL feels strongly one way or the other, and they may not want somebody involved in both of those because of the potential conflict there. So I think there are some moving parts that will yet to be played out as to whether Jeff Bezos would be a candidate in Washington or in Washington State for the ultimately when the Seahawks go on the market. Of course, Jeff Bezos' ownership of the Washington Post, with which Dan Snyder has feuded for years, uh, is a big part of why there is a belief that Dan has no interest in selling the commanders to Bezos. Is it as simple as if Dan Snyder doesn't want to sell the team to Jeff Bezos, then Bezos can't buy the team? Or is the situation more if the NFL wants Jeff Bezos to buy the commanders, then the NFL can make it so that he does buy the commanders? Yeah, well, ultimately, as I said, look, this is Dan's, uh, uh, you know, transfer, but it's ultimately the NFL's decision. So a couple things happen. Number one, you can hear names out there, and then you can hear the highest bidder. But again, it doesn't always necessarily go to the quote-unquote highest bidder or somebody that has it. The NFL Finance Committee is going to investigate and, and, and vet all these folks. And number, number one, also, people that are in the NFL ecosystem – previous current minority partners or different things like that are usually people that come through and, and get a higher approval rating. So whether Dan does or doesn't want to particularly sell to somebody, ultimately it's going to be the finance committee that would approve a transfer of the asset. And that's where most of this decision lies. So would they like to have the highest bidder? Oh, absolutely, for sure. Would they like to put this franchise in Washington? We haven't talked about this, but they want to put this in the hands of somebody that they really understand really well because it's such a jewel franchise from the standpoint of its relationship to the federal government, the three state governments, and you know D.C. in the area. Ultimately, that's the, they want to have the right person in charge here who can manage those relationships effectively and put the franchise back in the position that it was at RFK and early FedEx where you had ambassadors, heads of state, Pentagon officials all wanting to be seen at the stadium on on Sunday afternoon in in the owner's box. Yeah, I was going to ask you, but you may well have just answered this. Uh, You do believe that the Commanders are a sleeping giant as an NFL franchise? Well, yeah, certainly. Then there's a few reasons for that. Number one, as I just mentioned, its proximity to power seat in Congress, which is something that the NFL needs to hold. You've got several franchises around the country. New York, the franchises in New York, the franchises in Los Angeles, the franchise in Washington, which have you know a cut above in that regard. That that's number one. Number two, Washington D.C. being you know obviously we know it's the nation's capital, but it's a power center. In, in the world. And so the NFL is looking at international expansion. They're looking at a lot of things in that regard. And then the third thing is ultimately the ability to get a new stadium. One of the things that NFL owners are, are known for, in other words, the reason why they're in the club, is their ability to go get a stadium like Texas, like Atlanta, like Los Angeles, because ultimately that grows the overall asset 
And then the last piece, I think, is sort of what's been missing from the franchise for the last few years. If you look at the numbers, the Dallas Cowboys revenue is now well over a billion dollars. It's in the 1.1, 1.2. The commanders are about half of that, unfortunately. And so if you look at filling that gap, clearly there's a lot of unsold inventory, if you will, around the commanders franchise that I think when they look at valuing that, not only is what it's earning right now in terms of operating income, but what's missing? What big categories? What other opportunities are there? And I think that will enhance the ultimate value of the sale. Are there any legitimate reasons for why the NFL wouldn't want Jeff Bezos as an owner of a team? Well, I think, look, things have changed, right, in the last couple of years in terms of what I think the NFL wants and needs in terms of its ownership. They certainly need diversity. Jeff Bezos, for all of his wealth, is another wealthy white male, which, you know, we, we just saw that happen in, in Denver. And so I, I really think that they're going to really look judiciously at this franchise. I don't think there's any reason that they would not want him because one of the things that happens when you bring folks into ownership groups like that, they bring their background. Jerry Jones came in. You've got some other people that have come in, the Kraft family, and they brought their backgrounds, which have benefited. And clearly Jeff's, biz, Jeff's business background around e-commerce, around media now, and around those areas would clearly be an advantage for the club and for the NFL central offices, et cetera. So I don't think there's any reason not to, but I think they look at this franchise and say, even if you're the highest bidder, what is your management team going to look like? What's the reflection? You know, what, what is your thoughts on diversity? What is your thoughts on females? You know, who are the types of people that you would immediately put in place? And I think those kind of comments, in addition to the financial component, will drive ultimately who the NFL selects and puts the Washington franchise in the hands of. You know, you take a step back. It really is amazing that we're even having this conversation. I mean, just three months ago, the notion of Dan Snyder selling the commanders was like pie in the sky. I mean, for years it was said that he would never sell the team. And yet here we are. Uh, how would you explain why Dan is selling the team? Yeah, I think there's a few reasons. Number one, in, in, if you put it in a metaphor, all the roads out were blocked. There was no way around for him to get out of his current situation, right? It was clear that he had angered people with regard to the investigations from Capitol Hill and from other uh, attorneys generals around. That's, that's part of it. A big part of it, though, is the inability for him to get a stadium relationship with any jurisdiction. Look, other franchises would love to have two or three jurisdictions competing for to, to basically award you a stadium location, right? The current one in Maryland, the ability to come back into D.C., and all of those opportunities that were swimming around in Northern Virginia. Of those three areas, he wasn't and wasn't going to be able to close on any of those. And so I think, as I say, all the roads seemed to be closed. There was no way out for him. The only way out, frankly, was to capitalize on the growth of the franchise and to take that profit pay off. Remember, he, he, he took out loans to to buy the remaining stake in the franchise. So he does owe some of those, you know, dollars back to the NFL and to others. And so I think ultimately it was just kind of that decision. Like, look, the future doesn't look this promising. This is an opportunity. This may be peak valuation for you. And so this is an opportunity for you to go. And he could not, I don't think he could find any other colleagues inside the NFL that were other than maybe Jerry Jones that were willing to sort of stand by him through thick and thin. 
Much more with Sports Business Insider Marty Conway in moments. I'm going to next ask him about the stalled sale of the Nationals. Uh, Marty understands money in sports. If you need to get where your money is going better organized, uh, download the Hiatus app. Uh, Hiatus is a personal financial management app that allows you to take full control of your money. If you want to get a better handle on where your money is going, if you want to get your bills, utilities, and subscriptions organized, download the Hiatus app. It's great. Hiatus allows you to see all of your subscriptions at one place and lets you cancel the ones that you don't want or need in just a few taps. Uh, Hiatus can alert you if any of your monthly bills, like your cell phone bill or internet bill, are negotiable and has an in-house team that actually can negotiate and lower those bills for you. Download the Hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. The Hiatus app costs nothing to download, so download it now. See what it can do for you. Again, you can download the Hiatus app from the App Store, from Google Play, or by going to hiatus.app. Hiatus, take control of your money. More now with sports business expert Marty Conway. So the Nationals, uh, it was last April that we learned that the learners were selling at least a portion of their ownership of the Nats. Uh, the belief for months was that the learners were trying to sell majority ownership of the team, but the sale process seems to be going nowhere. Uh, the Washington Post on January 12th reported that a Nats sale appeared no closer now than it did in April, and that those close to the process believed that the greater likelihood was that the learners would take on a minority partner instead if there was any change at all. Uh, this all seems to be about the never-ending mass in dispute having greatly devalued the Nats? Uh, A, is that how you see the situation? And B, if so, do you see the Nats being sold before a resolution to the mass and mess? Yeah, you're at the heart of it. I think for both franchises in baseball, the Orioles and the Nationals, the ongoing almost a decade now dispute uh, over the mass and payments is at the center of this. Because look, I think most recently, from what we know, you know, the various MLB tribunals had indicated that they were siding with the Nationals in terms of payments. Those total payments were going to be at least $100 million. There were questions about how much interest that was drawing per day, Twenty, I heard $25,000 a, you know, a day in interest potential. And so it was a massive amount. And I've always thought now for the last several years that the only way the dissolution of Masson happens is new money comes into it. And if, whether it was new money coming in directly to the network, and at one time you might have said Fox, regional networks, but that has changed, or new ownership in franchises that brings in new money that can figure this out because this has to be unwound because you can't be seriously looking at the purchase of your franchise and not really know what one of your primary local revenue sources, that is media, is actually going to get you. And, and I think that's for a lot of people. If you're coming in to buy a house and there's all sorts of plumbing and other issues, you really need to see how much is that going to cost me once I close on this house. So I think that has dramatically slowed. And I think ultimately that's what we're trying to unwind. That's what they're trying to unwind is, is there going to be a resolution to the mass and issue in the next several months? And if not, then perhaps it's sort of a slow sale where there's a buyer identified, whether it's Ted Leonsis or somebody else, who steps in and can ultimately acquire, you know, as much more or all of the franchise. I have thought for some time 
that I wasn't sure that the learners wanted to be completely out of the baseball business, but I don't think they want the responsibility for the investments going forward as they looked at their business because ultimately, you know, we could have a recession, we could have some other issues come up which would complicate their ability to fund in the way that they have in the past. So Masson is primary. I think that slows lots of things. Look, I think Ted Leonsis, you know, made a purchase of the other two-thirds of NBC Sports Network that he didn't own. I think that opens up some opportunities. So I think ultimately it will get worked out over the next months, and I say several months. But in the meantime, unfortunately, we are in this sort of holding pattern until the courts and MLB likely can resolve one way or the other what Masson looks like. Does it stay together? Do the Nationals get untethered from Masson and they can go to NBC Sports Network? Or what really happens there? All right. So you do see the never-ending Masson dispute actually ending in the coming months. Yeah, I, I think, look, it has to, because at this point, it is holding up the future of not just one franchise, but two, because ultimately, obviously, the Nats, you know, the learners do want to sell and they want to proceed. And ultimately, I think the Orioles... They've mentioned, look, they're sort of waiting on the health situation of Peter Angelos, ultimately, but maybe that's not something that can wait. And so I think one way or the other, one or both franchises start to look like they're going to be in the marketplace over the next year or two, and I would suspect that the Nationals close this first, and then maybe that allows people to actually understand, okay, what do the Orioles really have? Do they have a franchise plus a network, part of a network? What is it really worth? And so... These are, you know, like I said, these are substantial. I think when MLB and and, the, and our court system can finally resolve some sort of settlement on Masson, then I think they'll be able to go forward. With the Orioles' ownership, a lot going on. Uh, you know the O's well. You used to work for them. Uh, as you alluded to, Peter Angelos has been in failing health for years. There has been a belief that uh, when he passes away, the Angelos family will sell the O's. Uh, however, we this past June had the filing of this lawsuit by Louis Angelos against his brother, John Angelos, and their mother, Georgia Angelos, for control of the team. Do you think that... Uh, Whenever Peter's time comes, the O's will be sold. And how does this Angelos family feud impact a potential sale of the O's? Yeah, this is not something that any, I mean, you know, you look at the public commentary from sports owners and this is their worst fear. Like they want to make the decision while they still can. They, they never want to see, you saw this happen um, in Nashville. You've seen it happen in Denver where, you know, the majority owner, principal, primary owner passes, and then there's a, and a dispute over estates and families, and it's, it's never good. So I think there are two separate things there. Number one is the, you know, ultimately, I, I do believe from what I've been made aware of is that when and if Peter passes and he and his wife, who own roughly 70, 75% of the controlling shares, they, they plan to sell. That's always been part of the estate plan to do that. Um, and so it's been a, and I think, you know, there obviously there's some tax implications for whether you sell while somebody's still alive or in the estate, et cetera. It's better for them once it's in an estate circumstance. Um, but the second part is this other element, which is, this is around not just the Orioles, but the family business, the law firm, all that. And Louis Angelos is making many claims in court about some things that his mom said or didn't say, and John did or didn't do. And I think here what he's looking to do is probably reserve his place ultimately when this all plays out, right? And that is 
this is what I've claimed, this is what I think I should be owed in terms of how the estate ends up, you know, distributing proceeds, et cetera. I, I think John would hope that he could somehow remain involved in baseball, although I don't think that's likely, because again, I think someone comes in and wants to buy principal and controlling interest in the team and do what they want to do. Um, so there's a couple different things that have gotten commingled, but ultimately this is going to lead to the resolution. But unfortunately, in the in the meantime, it's just kind of an ugly circumstance like in Denver, like in Nashville, and like in a couple of other places when somebody is incapacitated and it goes on for an extended period of time. I think Peter's health you know, began to deteriorate to that point, as I understand, back in 2017, 2018, according to the what we've what we've known. So it's been a number of years and been ongoing, and you know the Masson thing on top of it. So it's very complicated. And right now, lawyers are making a lot of money, but um, no one else seems to be. <laughs> yeah, the lawyers always seem to get paid. Funny how that works. Uh, one more for you: the Orioles' lease with the Maryland Stadium Authority ends on December 30. 30- First of this year. The O's being moved to Tennessee has come up. Uh, among the items in the lawsuit was John Angelos, according to Louis Angelos, wanting to move the Orioles to Tennessee. Uh, the O's this past June 13th issued a statement from John Angelos saying that the team will never leave Baltimore. Quote, as I have said before, as long as Fort McHenry is standing watch over the Inner Harbor, the Orioles will remain in Baltimore. End quote. Should O's fans be worried about the team leaving Baltimore, or do you not see Major League Baseball allowing the O's to leave Baltimore? Uh, no, never. I mean, that, that's that's not, I mean, like I said, those are commingling a couple different things. Look, the, the lease, they will sign, whether it's a five-year extension, which I probably project is what they likely do, is sign the five-year extension, begin and continue negotiations with a new Maryland Stadium Authority. I never thought that the current Angelos management, uh, leadership, was going to sign with the outgoing, now past Republican Governor um, Larry Hogan, and more than likely being in a better position because they have skewed to the progressive side of things with Wes Moore. So if they're going to do something, I, I always suspect that it would be in the Moore administration, whether it's short-term or long-term. Uh, that's number one. Number two, baseball has issues in Tampa and Oakland right now, and they are not interested in awarding anybody a franchise, you know, moving to Nashville or anything. There, there would not be 24 votes, which is what they would need to move. At this time, they, they don't even have 24 votes to move uh, the Oakland A's or Tampa, let alone a fairly stable franchise like Baltimore. So regardless of what you read or what you hear, Major League Baseball is not going to be in a position to vote for any approval of any movement of any franchise, let alone Baltimore, in the near term. So that's why I'm much more dug in on the no-never response because, you know, ultimately it's not up to the individual owner. They may want to do something, but can they get approval from, you know, the rest of their their colleagues to move? And in this case, it's just not going to happen for baseball. Makes sense. It's odd right now for O's fans. There's so much to be excited about from purely a baseball perspective, but the ownership situation, not ideal. Uh, sports business expert Marty Conway, high-level analysis on the Commanders, Nationals, and Orioles ownership situations. Uh, Marty, thanks a lot for your time and have a great weekend. Okay, Al, thanks. Good to be with you. Take care.
Well, the Capitals on Thursday night began a three-game trip out west, and they did so in a rather nice way. The Caps improved to 25-17-6 with a 4-0 win at the Arizona Coyotes. Uh, The Caps now have 56 points and now have a five-point lead on both the Pittsburgh Penguins and the New York Islanders for the top wildcard spot in the Eastern Conference. Uh, Goaltender Darcy Kemper did it again. Another shutout. Uh, He stopped all 26 of the shots on goal that he faced. Kemper, per natural stat trick, stopped all seven of the high-danger shots on goal that he faced. Darcy Kemper, for this 2022-2023 regular season, now has an NHL-leading five shutouts. Uh, The Caps this past July signed him to that big money contract, that five-year $26.25 million unrestricted free agent contract, and he's living up to that contract. Uh, This is great to see. This was Caps head coach Peter Laviolette during his postgame session with reporters late night on Thursday night on Darcy Kemper. Yeah, really good. Really good. Sometimes it's tough in those games where it's not a lot of volume and um, there's not that much coming. It's even harder to stay focused for when you, you know they did have power plays at the end and they were pushing and pressing, and uh, he had to be sharp and make some saves. I thought he looked really good. Yes, he did. Uh, the Caps went three of three on the penalty kill. Uh, won the puck possession battle. Caps for natural stat trick had fifty-five five-on-five shot attempts to the Coyotes' thirty-seven, and the Caps totaled thirty-three shots on goal to the Coyotes' twenty-six. So the Caps did remain without defensemen John Carlson and forwards Nick Dowd, Connor Brown, and Carl Hagelin due to injury, but a lot of good performances by Caps players in this game on Thursday night. Center Dylan Strom had uh, an eventful game. He scored two even-strand goals, one in the first period and one in the third period, and totaled a team-high tying four shots on goal, but he also committed two third-period penalties, a slashing minor and a tripping minor. Uh, Good games for two key Caps who recently made their season debuts, talking about winger Tom Wilson and center Nicholas Backstrom. Uh, Each guy made a season debut in the Caps one nothing win over the Columbus Blue Jackets at Capital One Arena on January 8th. Uh, Wilson is looking good. He, on Thursday night, had a second-period power play goal, a primary assist, and a team-high tying three hits. And he was number five on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 66.67. The Caps with Wilson on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 14 shot attempts versus allowing seven shot attempts. And Nicholas Backstrom seems to be rounding into form. He, on Thursday night, had a secondary assist and was number one on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick at 86.67. The Caps with Backstrom on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game had 13 shot attempts versus allowing just two shot attempts. Uh, Winger Sonny Milano had a second period even strength goal and he was number two on the Caps in five-on-five shot attempt percentage for the game per natural stat trick, 84.62. The Caps with Milano on the ice in five-on-five situations in the game, 11 shot attempts versus allowing just two shot attempts. So center Evgeny Kuznetsov had two assists. Defenseman Dmitry Orlov had two primary assists. Uh, Lots of good stuff from the Caps. Next up for them at the Vegas Golden Knights, Saturday night at 10. So a good night for the Capitals on Thursday night and a good night for Maryland basketball on Thursday night. The Terrapins avenged their humiliating 81 
46-46 loss at Michigan on New Year's Day with a 64-58 win over Michigan at Xfinity Center in College Park, Maryland. Uh, that loss at Michigan on New Year's Day was terrible. It was the Terps' worst loss in Big Ten play since joining the conference, but the Terps on Thursday night a lot better. They improved to 12 and 6 overall and 3 and 4 in the Big Ten. Began the game on a 28-15 run. Uh, did blow that 13-point first half lead to where the game was tied at 42 in the second half, but the Terps then won the rest of the game 22-16. Very good defense by the Terps. Uh, they held Michigan to just 58 points, to just 8 of 28 on threes, and to just 8 free throw attempts. Uh, the Terps totaled 7 steals, generated 12 Michigan turnovers. Now, the Terps did have problems with 7-1 center Hunter Dickinson. I mean, look, he's one of the best players in the country. He is a local. He went to DeMatha Catholic High School in Hyattsville, Maryland, and he has held a, a grudge against Maryland for it supposedly not recruiting him very hard. Uh, he on Thursday night again was a force. 31 minutes as a starter, 3 of 5 on threes, 4 of 6 on twos, 2 of 2 on free throws. He finished with 19 points, 10 rebounds, including 5 offensive boards and 3 blocks. He did, though, have no assists versus 2 turnovers, and his team did lose. Uh, the Terps won Despite a sluggish offensive performance, Maryland went just 3 of 15 on threes. So yet another bad game for the Terps on threes. Uh, Maryland also went just 21 of 43 on twos and just 13 of 17 on free throws and totaled seven assists. Yeah, just seven assists for the team the entire game. But the Terps did commit just six turnovers. That was great. And the Terps actually ended up outscoring Michigan in the paint 42 22. Uh, point guard and another DeMatha product, uh, Jameer Young. He had a big game. 37 minutes as a starter. 0 of 5 on threes, but also 9 of 14 on twos and 8 of 10 on free throws. He finished with 26 points, 3 steals, 3 rebounds, and 2 assists versus 3 turnovers. Jameer Young, in a lot of ways, perfectly captures the Terps. He, on Thursday night, scored 26 points despite not making a single three. 26 points despite going 0 of 5 on threes. But Jameer Young was really good. Uh, here was Terps head coach Kevin Willard during his postgame press conference on Thursday night on Jameer Young. I think the biggest thing that we've talked about with Jameer and I've talked about Jameer was just being patient and learning the league. Um, I think he's playing as good as any, any player in the country right now. And I think the, I think he's gotten comfortable with the length and size he has to go against every night. Um, it's a big adjustment, you know, seeing the centers he sees, the coverages he's seeing. Um, I just think he's starting to get a little bit more comfortable with, you know, not settling to be on the perimeter, which I thought, um, even though he was playing well in the beginning of the year, I thought he he's just – I think he's gotten more comfortable just being more aggressive. Yeah, it's scary to think where Maryland would be without Jameer Young. Uh, Dante Scott on Thursday night, 38 minutes as a starter. Now, he went just 2-9 on twos, but he also went 1-2 on threes, 2-2 two two on free throws. He finished with 9 points, 8 rebounds, including 4 offensive boards, 3 assists versus no turnovers, and 2 steals. Uh, the Terps on Thursday night got very impressive short-term production 
from this guy, Callum Swanton Roger. You say who? I say, yeah, <laughs> Callum Swanton Roger. He's a 6'11 true freshman from Canada. Uh, Patrick Emelian was injured, and so Kevin Willard ended up playing Callum Swanton Roger for seven minutes off the bench. Now, you say seven minutes, okay, what's the big deal? Well, uh, Callum Swanton Roger over those seven minutes was terrific. Two a two from the field, all twos, four points, three rebounds, including two offensive boards and a block. And he provided this like infusion of energy for the Terps during his time in the game. And another Terps big, Julian Reese, uh, he in 33 minutes as a starter had nine rebounds, including four offensive boards. Now, he did go just three of 10 from the field, all twos, and did score just six points, but he did a good job of battling Hunter Dickinson. And how about this from Kevin Willard during his postgame press conference on Thursday night on Julian Reese? I think Julian played as good a basketball game as you can against probably one of the best players in the country. Um, I thought he was physical all night. I thought he stuck to the game plan. He got up the line. He battled. He made it tough for Hunter. I mean, you take away Hunter's three threes, he only had he had, he had ten and nine the way or ten and ten the way I look at it. So, um, ever since Juju's sort of gotten healthy and got his and got his legs back, I think he's playing really good basketball. But um, I thought that was the best game he's played all year. Yeah, high praise from Kevin Willard for Julian Reese. Big win for the Terps. Uh, next up for Maryland, another tough test at number three Purdue. Sunday afternoon at 1. And that will do it for you and me for now. Keep the feedback coming. You can tweet me at Al Galdi. You can email me, the Al Galdi podcast at yahoo.com. Monday show, episode 491. We'll have a lot for you on the commanders off whatever news emerges these next few days and off the divisional round of the NFL playoffs. Also, we'll discuss the rest of our Washington, D.C. area sports weekend. The Capitals are at the Vegas Golden Knights Saturday night at 10. The Wizards are home to the Orlando Magic Saturday night at 7. And we have plenty of college basketball. Maryland is at number three, Purdue, Sunday afternoon at one. Georgetown is at number eight, Xavier, Saturday at noon. Number 10, Virginia is at Wake Forest, Saturday afternoon at two. And Virginia Tech is at number 19, Clemson, Saturday evening at six. Have a great weekend, and I'll talk to you on Monday. (laughs) It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing. They're becoming self-reliant by investing in emergency food storage from My Patriot Supply. Go to MyPatriotSupply.com and secure four-week emergency food kits for each member of your family. Each kit contains tasty breakfasts, lunches, and dinners, averaging over 2,000 calories per day. Save $50 on each four-week food kit you purchase. Plus, get free shipping on Ready Hour four-week emergency food kits. You're not ready if it's not Ready Hour foods. At My Patriot Supply, you can also get solar power generators, water filtration units, heirloom seeds, and survival gear. Order by 3 p.m., and your unmarked boxes ship the same day. Shop MyPatriotSupply.com today. MyPatriotSupply.com.